Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, Episode 31, October 29th, 2022. So glad you could make it. Yeah, as stated a couple of times here, I am uh, not a big fan of Christmas. I, I've been reluctant, you know, I'm reluctant reluctant to speak too outwardly and overtly about many things on this platform, maybe in general. I believe in the Church of Six. Um, I am a practicing Christian. I pray and meditate each morning and, and each time I go to the river. I am seeking to pray continually, as the writer of Thessalonians says. I'm fairly well studied in the Bible, especially the New Testament. <clears throat> but I, I have to admit, it is tough for me to be a professing Christian due to the associations that brings along with it in this modern church. Too much triumph and my side versus your side and even demonization of the other. But I, I do believe in the Christ, in Jesus the Christ, and I seek to follow his example and teachings and, and live among and within the Spirit. Um, so yeah, that's that's who I am. I don't uh, get into that too much here for probably my own cowardice, I guess, maybe. or uh, uh, Anyway, maybe we'll re- look into that next time. But... Um, I've talked many times about my issues with Christmas, and so I'm working on redeeming Christmas for myself, you know, just like the Grinch. So I began writing blurbs and notes to my kiddos each day and buying them small gifts. We we started the uh, <clears throat> the chain of, of joy. It's still in progress, but uh, we're, we're working on that and, and working on counting down and thinking about things that we are glad about. Um, though this week we had to pause uh, as the stomach bug and the flu have been unwelcome visitors in our home. This episode may be on the heavy side, I suppose, but I guess if you know me by now, then you know that's how I roll. So here we go. Um, mostly from the things I've been writing to the kids this week. For whatever reason, while at the river the other day, I just blurted out, joy to the world. Um, and then I, I had a change of mind. The uh, the winter of strength, which is what I had intended for our next season here at the Church of Six to be called. Of course, we had Freedom Summer, and we are currently in the fall of hope. But the winter of strength be- became the winter of joy. Um, as I blurted out, joy to the world. But, but then I said, the Lord has come, which is how the song goes, and that isn't good English, at least it isn't good modern English, but it is. Um, The Lord has come, not has, not will, is. Now, the Lord is with us, and that's Christmas, so let us begin our now 57 days of Christmas joy, 57 days until Christmas. 
Colossians 3, 12 through 14 is a good reminder if we ask who the Lord is, which says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So a couple of questions. Why should there be joy that the Lord has come? Joy to you, but also joy to the world. The unknown becomes known. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The unknown made known. Salvation. Salvation from fear and death, from from hatred and greed and selfishness and violence. And instead, salvation into peace and grace and hope and life and love. Instead, humility and goodness and gentleness and love. Instead, love. You do know these things. They are not unknown. And because of that, we rejoice. Joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Is. Now. Always. Eternal. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy found more and more and more as we learn to let go. To surrender. To believe and be live. William James said, The greatest use of a life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. Plant sequoias, Wendell Berry says. Don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right, says Bob Marley. Sorrow and sadness, sickness and pain, yes. Unfortunately for us in our limited perspectives, yes. But these things too are being redeemed, just like the Grinch, redeemed. So we breathe in the sorrows, ours and others. We breathe them in and allow the gravity of the sorrow to impact us deeply. But we breathe out joy and hope and life for us and for others because the Lord is. The Lord is come. And with him is come peace and the hope of glory already and not yet. What brings you joy on this day? Let earth receive her king. In the beginning it was good. In fact, when creation was complete, God said it was very good. People create various narratives for how it all went wrong. Sin is a word that is thrown around a lot. Wendell Berry says that our focus on sins, as it were, has diminished in scope over the years. In other words, the so-called public really only focuses on a few for which you can be branded and demonized and canceled. But surely at the heart of it all is our separation from God and from each other. Sitting at the river, I told Isaac that Pop, my dad, always told me that the law can be heard in the sound of flowing water. And of course, an attempt to define the law in that instance is kind of beside the point, or better said, not the point at all. But Jesus does define it for us. He sums up the law and says, love God with your whole being, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know how the story goes of the Samaritan. We know who our neighbor is. It's not a matter of loving all except some. There is no except. There is only all. And our desire desire for domination and our lust and greed and self-glorification, we have done great damage to creation. We have done great damage to others. 
We say we believe the commandments, but are so eager to change the word kill to murder so as to absolve ourselves from violence. And maybe you haven't killed someone, but who have you allowed to do so as your proxy? These questions from Wendell Berry sting me to the core. In the damage that we've done to creation and to each other, we have done damage, of course, to ourselves. Perhaps too often, as Richard Rohr says, we seek out the scriptures in search for and only for consolation, going to heaven when you die and atonement and such. And that's there to be found for sure. But before consolation, there is confrontation, a challenge. It's not just believing your way into a better life, but living your way into new beliefs, new beginnings, practicing attitudes of grace and redemption and forgiveness, serving the poor and those who are in need. I was hungry and you fed me, says the Bible. And we don't even have to know that we're doing it. There isn't a ladder to climb. These are not accomplishments to add or badges to earn. After all, it was Jesus who came down from heaven to meet us here, to pitch his tent here with us in our fallenness and failed attempts and flawed vision. Even so, redemption is at hand. Redemption is, not will be, not has been. The king who is the spirit breathed over all of creation to generate life, the king of mercy and humility, of the bountiful harvest of comfort and care, attention and intention, the king of peace and life of love, the king of glory. Let all the earth receive, invite with open and eager arms, let earth receive her king, and in so doing participate in the redemption of earth and all creation, even now, that's a cause for joy. What made you joyful today? Let every heart prepare him room, prepare There are things that we can manage. We do play a part in this drama. The weight isn't unbearable for us in that responsibility, though, because the Lord is come. But there is a response. There is a response that is asked from us, a responsibility from us. We should prepare, prepare our hearts to create room for the king. But how? It's not a mystery. We can meditate on the fruit of the Spirit. We can think about these things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. We can move away from the poles, from the polarity of judgment, the poles where we sit in self-righteousness and condemn others for their obvious sins while we sit here and think that we are clean. We can work, and it's really hard work towards loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. We can long for and participate in the kingdom come, not waiting on the mystery to unfold and checking boxes to gain our ticket into heaven, but instead striving to understand and participate in heaven on earth now. We can work for justice for the oppressed and downtrodden and seek to love those who are different than us, different from us. Holding on to our sense of purity and goodness and all that, All that is fine. People have views and opinions and thoughts about what is right and wrong. But never strutting, always seeking understanding and empathy, knowing that the ultimate judge is not us, is not us. And maybe in a really circular way, the best way to prepare him room in your heart is to know that there is room. To believe, 
to trust that you can prepare him room and that as you do, he will reside and you will settle into your truest identity, one taste, fully human. And as we move further into this true identity, it becomes easier for us to become vulnerable. It allows us freedom to share our burdens with each other. For example, in my practice, I'm working on identifying and working towards understanding and peace with my own emotions, seeking freedom for myself, believing that that freedom is something that uh, is, is achievable, maybe for the first time in my life. Knowing that my penchant for expecting the worst has likely filtered down to my kids, and I don't like that. I don't like that about myself. I want to do the work to improve my relationship with the unknown. But I also am practicing on recognizing my own humanity. I'm human, and I have to forgive myself for my weaknesses. And as I learn to identify my own feelings and recognize them for what they are, and know that they aren't me, not the true me, the true eternal I, that can open my eyes of grace towards others as I learn to grant grace to myself. That's hard, difficult work, but work worth doing. Perhaps it's the only work. And with that comes more freedom, more understanding of each other and of ourselves. We learn that we are quite similar to each other. We have common hopes and common struggles, and that kind of neighborly sharing leads us more and more to see each other not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters. Instead of us and them, it really can become we. And, and we learn not to not consider ourselves the enemy or the parts of ourselves that we battle with. We can also understand and grant grace to ourselves, freedom, joy to the world. The Lord is come. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. In harmony. In unity. The rocks and trees and oceans and deserts. Together as the creation that was deemed very good from the beginning. Singing with joy and praise to the one who redeems. The one who envelops us. The one in whose identity we find our true nature. Our true I. The world turned upside down. The lame walk and the blind see. The poor are blessed and the mourners celebrate. The peacemakers inherit the kingdom. The dead are raised. Life is found in the merciful and humble and lowly. A mockery is made out of power and greed and hatred and oppression. And those songs rise up to glory. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Paul says in Philippians 2. Giving it all up, emptying. Not taking advantage of the godlike desires, but instead coming to us in an animal trough, naked and vulnerable at birth and at death. These are the things that are exalted. And it's not a formula to work out. I don't seek out ways to be humble, or I shouldn't seek out ways to be humble and kind and work towards emptying myself so that I can be exalted. It's not an equation, it just is. If you're finding that type of glory and exaltation in yourself, if you're seeking it, then that's not the way. It just is and ought to be that these things that are deemed foolish by the powers and principalities, these things are exalted. This is the way. I know you're tired, but come, follow, and believe, and be live. All right. 
just a quick halftime. There was one that I left out um, in in last week's episode of the three meals. What are the top meals that I've that I've ever had? And uh, I, I will tell you that one of those has got to be at Harris's Steakhouse in San Francisco on our honeymoon. And it was one of those places like, I don't know, man, I bet it was $150. And that was in 2001 money um, for just me and Sarah, just the two of us. Like they had the steaks hanging up in the restaurant, you know, like that kind of thing. Oh, man, it was so good. I don't think I've ever been that full. We definitely topped it off with creme brulee for sure. So that would have to be in the top three. Speaking of creme brulee, another one that would have to be in the top three is, I believe, was it 2011? I believe it was whenever uh, Mr. Matt Worth turned 40, uh, a crew of us went up to uh, his digs in Pennsylvania and we ate at his brother Ben's restaurant. And wow, bacon wrapped steak, I think, and definitely some some creme brulee, caramel creme brulee perhaps afterward, like to the point of maybe you shouldn't eat one more bite. You're going to regret it, but you do anyway. Um but that one was the top three because of the crew that we were with and the experience, good times, good second lifetimes. Um, I don't know. You know, the third one was was tough for me. I could think back to like eating uh, beanie weenies with 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 chili mixed in, like like hot dog chili mixed in before a a seventh grade baseball game. You know, in the summertime, which seems outrageous, but that's just stuff that my dad would make. Um, those cheeseburgers that he would make where he would put cheese in the middle of them and they were just monstrous burgers, man. You just put chili on it and then it just bite into it and goes all over everywhere, all over in your face. But yeah, my dad cooked for us for many, many years. And so um, perhaps that whole experience would be the top three. I do have a, a joke for you. Um, although this one doesn't work out as well as, uh, if you could see it, because I got to be moving my hands. So you can just imagine like a DJ, you know, DJ moving his hands. But what is a DJ's favorite sauce? Marinara. Thanks to uh, Caroline, my friend Caroline, for... That joke, I've been using that one all week. Um, I don't know. I, one time I I talked about a dream I had in the psychology class I was in with Mr. Harrison High School. And afterwards, I said it out loud. He, he said that that sounded a lot like the Oedipus Complex. And so I've been pretty reluctant to share my dreams with people since then. But uh, I had to, to talk about, I have to talk about this one. It's just been really prominent. I try to remember my dreams um, and, and even write them down some in the morning. But in this dream, we were standing at, at the fairgrounds, not necessarily the Cleveland County Fair, but 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 probably since that's my uh, familiarity. And so we were standing at the fairgrounds, but it was it was a different configuration. It was smaller. It was it was only one line of rides and, and, and such. And, and they were all tucked in close to the trees. And someone said, you know, in the dream that that was, that was so that there could be more shade. I, I remember noticing the double Ferris wheel and, and I noticed a crazy drop ride, which definitely was related to, to my son, Isaac, who had considered going to Carowinds and 
he, he's got a, a, a fear of heights, I guess. And, and uh, anyway, he didn't go to Carowinds quite yet. But, but anyway, I looked up and I, I saw f- a fighter jets, like a few fighter jets in the air. And upon second or third look, I saw a passenger plane in flames and it was kind of sputtering down. And the jets were there like to accompany the, uh, the plane, I guess, down to the ground. And the, the murmuring in the crowd, I guess, began to be like, oh, this is World War III. The scene changed then to a place where we were all gathered to watch. In fact, it was kind of like The Martian, if you've ever watched The Martian with, uh, with Matt Damon. Um, the the book is really good too. My kids love to read that, but, but like, it was like the Martian where the, the whole world was watching on, on all the different TVs and the, the squares, Times Square and things like that. And everybody was watching to see what was going to happen with this plane. And then there was a celebration. We celebrated when many people walked out of the plane and were alive. They were battered and bloody, but they were alive. And so we celebrated. Then somewhere I saw a little girl speaking, but she had to speak through an AI-type voice device. She couldn't speak herself. Then her brother walked by, and they had survived, but their parents were both dead. Um, And then the scene changes into a hotel-type structure with almost open-looking elevator shafts and scaffolding and such. It seems that there was still some celebration, but also mourning. One guy who I knew from somewhere else in the dream, like in the dream, I knew that I knew who the person was, but he peeked his head up through the open elevator shaft and complained about someone smoking. And I went to tell him that no one was smoking and explain the whole situation to him because I guess he didn't know in the dream. Um, And I was going to let him know, like, even if someone is smoking, it's no big deal. But then as I was going to do that, a girl admitted to smoking and said she'd wrap it up in tinfoil. Weird. Only in a dream. I was working my way around the ledge of the scaffolding, leaning back and holding on to the rails. And this person named Libby asked me if I was okay. And I said I was. And she asked me if I was sad. And I said that I wasn't, that I didn't really feel anything. She asked me what I wanted. And when she asked me what I wanted in the dream, In the dream, I felt that the enormity of what I wanted, I felt the enormity of what I wanted well up in me. I knew that the enormity of what I wanted seemed to be more than I could bear and was going to burst out of my body. This is all happening in the dream. I crumbled into weeping and could barely hang on to the rails. And I, that dream has just stuck with me because of that question, what do you want? And I want so much. I want so much for my own healing. I'm thankful that I'm at a a time in my life now where I believe and can see maybe even the path of, of healing, the path of freedom, that it is available. You know, maybe it took me too long to recognize that. I hope that's not the case for you. But I don't just want that for myself. I want it for you, for us, for us to break out of this us versus them mentality, which I suppose has been there all along. But I don't think it's the way. Um, So what do you want?
This has been a Church of Six production. Brought to you by the Foundation Tower of Stone, which I've been leaning heavily on this week. By the Wall of Belief. By the Magic Rock. By the Token of Hope. And by the Bucket of Life. Don't forget to believe and be live. Peace, my friends.